I have one thing to say to you. Kiss my fat ass. Hello, all my fellow mourners of diet culture. It is I, Emily Lubin. I'm the Grim Reaper and the host of this show. Welcome to RIP Diets, Season 2, Episode 18. Just a friendly reminder to everybody, this season of RIP Diets is going to be 25 episodes, as was the last season. And after that, I will be taking a short break. So why don't you get ahead of it and go to patreon.com slash RIP Diets, where I will continue to upload regular content, including bonus podcast episodes, videos, vlogs, and an overall more intimate look at my recovery and my life as a body neutral bitch in her 30s. If that sounds interesting to you, again, it's patreon.com slash RIP diets. And that's for a low, low price of $6.99 per month, which is basically the same as a fancy coffee and is going to do you a lot more good. Basically, just think of me as your big sister who is here to guide you through your intuitive eating practice in a very understandable and relatable way. So today I am on a mission to bust a myth. I'm going myth busters up in this bitch. Several episodes ago, I was talking about MSG and how MSG has become the devil and has built up this reputation as an additive in Chinese food that definitely makes you sick. And this seems to be like the popular knowledge. And it got me thinking about how there are so many myths around food that people just accept as fact. And the biggest one to me, or one of the biggest ones, is a series of myths that we've built around sugar. Sugar is public enemy number one to almost everybody now. I'm just constantly hearing people talk shit about sugar. And I thought I would do some research to find out what the effects of sugar actually are in the brain. This was sparked by a conversation that I had. I was recording an episode of my other podcast, Hot Mess, and I got into a debate with the guest. I'm not going to call her out on anything. And also, I think highly of this guest. It was not anything to do with her. But, you know, we were talking about weight stigma on the podcast and it came up and God, you know, I never want to turn into this militant person who's lecturing people about what I think to be true when it comes to food. But when I hear the term food addiction or sugar addiction, I just can't help myself. And we got into this debate because the guest said, as a definitive fact, sugar is addictive. Sugar is an addictive substance. And I kind of got on my soapbox. You can listen to the episode. The episode comes out on Wednesday. But I got on my soapbox and I was basically explaining why sugar is not addictive. What makes sugar seem addictive is the fact that we will often restrict foods that we really want to eat, including high sugar foods. And the restriction makes us crave it so much more. And it's such a simple concept that 
I think is hard for people to accept. I think it's easier to demonize certain foods and to say this food is the enemy or this food group is the enemy and I can't eat it because it's addictive and it's not my fault. It's the sugar's fault. And I think I think that's got to be where that comes from. But I want to bust that myth today. I was reading an article on The Behavioral Scientist, which is a really great resource that you can go on. It's behavioralscientist.org. The name of the article is No Sugar Isn't the New Heroin. The article is basically about our perception of sugar and how sugar is often compared even by healthcare professionals and scientists to addictive substances such as cocaine and heroin. But it goes on to debunk this myth. And I'm going to explain it to you guys in a way that is easy to understand. There have been recent studies done on rodents to test whether sugar has addictive qualities and also whether it can trigger the same addictive response that cocaine or heroin can trigger in the brain. The funny thing is we must acknowledge that Humans need sugar to survive. You need glucose. That's how we get our energy. And all sugar breaks down as glucose. The part of the brain that makes us crave sugar is the part of the brain that tells us to eat, essentially. And it's the same part that makes us want to move our body and have sex. Those are basically the three. They're very basic human needs. And it's not the same part of the brain that is affected when you do drugs like cocaine or heroin. It's a different part of the brain. And when you take substances like that, it actually fucks with the part of the brain that I was describing before that tells us to move and to eat and to have sex. So comparing sugar to addictive drugs is just not even valid and not even, the two could not be more different. The study that was done in rodents actually concluded that rodents would not show signs of addiction to sugar unless they could only get it in a certain time frame. Because if they were only getting it in a certain time frame, then they knew once they got it, they would not be getting any more for the foreseeable future. And Doesn't that sound familiar? This is exactly what I have been saying, which is if you deprive yourself of sugary foods or of foods that you just enjoy eating, then when you do allow yourself to eat them, you will feel out of control because you don't know the next time you're going to be able to eat it. And that's what's happening when you feel out of control around sugar or you feel addicted to sugar. You're not actually addicted. You're addicted to the binge restrict cycle. And the binge restrict cycle can only be stopped once you stop restricting those foods. And it sounds counterintuitive because diet culture will have you believe that the only way to actually resist a certain food is to eliminate it from your diet. But that actually cannot be further from the truth, people. It's so backwards. You need to stop restricting foods and then you won't feel out of control around those foods. Sure, 
you might feel out of control initially if you've been restricting for a long time, if you've had disordered eating, or if you've just been a victim of diet culture and you've tried to resist sugary foods, you might feel out of control once you allow them back into your diet and give yourself full permission to eat those foods. But eventually what's going to happen is you will know that you have unlimited access to those foods and then you won't feel out of control around sugar anymore. It's truly amazing. I have experienced this firsthand just going through the motions of intuitive eating and being really dedicated to it. I find that I do not crave sugar the way that I used to and I allow myself plenty of sugar, believe me especially with summer coming up. I mean, I eat ice cream pretty much every day in the summer and I can stop at a scoop of ice cream. Whereas when I used to try to restrict sugar, whenever I would buy a carton of ice cream, it would be gone in 30 seconds. It would all be gone in one sitting. And that doesn't happen to me anymore. And I I know that it's because I do not restrict my sugar intake or any other food for that matter. So that's just some food for thought that's actually backed up by science. If you've heard people say sugar is addictive, sugar is as addictive as drugs, those people are just regurgitating things that they've heard. It's not actually based in any scientific evidence. And you can take that to the fucking bank, people. Now, moving on, I wanted to address some things that were written in the Facebook group. As you guys well know, I am still attempting to recover my account, but I'm seeing your posts and there are a couple on here that I wanted to respond to. The first post uh, is by a gorgeous and flawless listener. Hi all, I'm sure that there are already a lot of hot mess listeners in this group, but just in case, I super recommend the latest episode with Moho Molfino, who authored The Good Girl Myth. She talks about five self-sabotaging myths that women ascribe to and how they stop you from taking risks and pursuing challenges you might otherwise want to. She talked about the myth that you always need to obey rules, the myth that you need to do everything perfectly or else why bother, the myth that you need to always sacrifice yourself for others, etc., I'm really not doing it justice at all, but I started the episode thinking, oh my God, that's me. And then why didn't I realize this before? And finally, holy crap, this is exactly why I have an eating disorder. While I relate to some myths more than others, overall, I had a pretty solid hit rate. And she goes on a little bit longer talking about the episode, but I just wanted to respond to that and say that is so spot on. During that episode, when we were interviewing Moho, The good girl myths totally resonated with me in the same way. Uh, This idea of perfection and always needing to obey certain rules, whether or not you know the actual reason for those rules. That's why a lot of us fall into eating disorders and disordered eating because we're trying to achieve this level of perfection that we will never achieve. So controlling our food is the only way that we can feel like we're achieving a certain level of perfection and control in our lives. And I think we need to let go of the myth that you can be perfect. Nobody's perfect and nobody has a perfect diet. Nobody has a perfect body. You are given a body and 
it is your responsibility to treat it the best you can, but that does not mean to make it as small as you can possibly make it. That was something that for a long time, I thought those two things meant the same thing and they don't mean the same thing. I can have a perfectly healthy, functional, gorgeous body and not be trying to make myself smaller. And it took a really long time for me to disconnect those two things. But now that I have, it's opened up my perception of health in so many different ways. And that's what I want for you guys. I also wanted to respond to a question that was posted in the group by another gorgeous and flawless listener. She says, I have a video appointment with my teen's doctor to explain why giving her a fistful of BMI charts and calling her obese isn't helpful. What should I say? Such a big question, and I am going to try to help you out best I can. I don't have a kid, and I have thought before that it must be really challenging to navigate all of these things with your child because we don't want to traumatize our children the way that we were traumatized. And I know that these BMI charts are used in schools quite a lot. I don't remember it being used for me, but I have heard anecdotes from people that, you know, that the schools will weigh their children and tell them where they are on the BMI scale, tell them if they're obese or overweight or underweight and how to move forward from there. I think it's really despicable. I don't think that schools should use BMI charts. I don't think anybody should use BMI as a metric. It's just a completely outdated method that has also been debunked by science. But in terms of what you should say, I would definitely address the fact that you are raising your child in a weight-neutral household. This is something that your doctor should respect because it's a totally legitimate way to raise a child and it is the way that I believe everybody should be raised. I would tell your doctor that you operate from a weight neutral perspective. You do not want her doctor to be calling her obese, that that is a layered word and a really heavy word, no pun, to perpetuate weight stigma. And you can even say to him that weight stigma is something that you consider really dangerous and you don't want it to interfere with your daughter's health and happiness. That's what I would say to the doctor. And I would see what he says. I think you might get a little pushback um, because BMI is a metric that we've been using for so long and it's kind of just what we've defaulted to, even though it, it's super harmful and just not necessary most of the time. I would say that you do not believe in BMI as a proper metric for health and you would appreciate it if he would respect that or she, sorry, if you have a lady doctor. Say that you hope that he or she will respect that you don't use that metric. And if you could examine my daughter without using a BMI chart, that would be much appreciated. And I think he should respect that. But I would love if you could report back and tell me how it went and what he said. And um, we can help continue to address this. I know from personal experience, every single time I would go to the doctor, they would always tell me I was too heavy. And that would make me feel so guilty and so bad that I would turn to the only thing that I knew how to comfort myself with, which was food. So I think people underestimate the fact that weight stigma 
is a really harmful thing and can really damage your health just as much, if not more, than being overweight. And there are studies that you can look into as well about weight stigma and about how weight stigma is very harmful. So I would definitely hold your ground with the doctor. And usually with doctors, if you give them enough shit, they will just succumb to you. And that's what I hope for you, dear listener. Finally, you guys, I just wanted to put it out there that you are free to email me at ripdiets at gmail.com. I would love to hear the type of things that you guys want to hear about and what kind of topics you would want me to cover in the future. That includes on the Patreon and on the regular podcast. I want to cater the rest of this season directly to you guys and figure out exactly what would help you in your recovery. So hit me up. Send me an email or slide in my DMs. I'm Lubin on Instagram or you can also get at me at RIP diets on Instagram that's the insta for the podcast and that's it for today you guys I'll see you next week for a brand new edition of RIP diets and until then I hope you're having yourself a hot girl spring wear what you want to wear don't worry about not being thin enough to wear the short shorts wear the fucking short shorts Wear the crop top. Wear what you want to wear. And if you're going to the beach, put on that bikini, girl. Let those tatas free and tan that belly. Because if you're anything like me, your belly is translucent going into spring. And I'm going to have to do something about that. I'm going to be rubbing self-tanner all over my belly until the first beach day. So yeah, consider spring to be your new beginning, your fresh start. And continue on in your recovery, and I will see you next week. Peace out.